Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We are in week two of the grand reopening process in New York State and in the Capital Region. It's not the world we knew, but it's getting ever closer to the new normal. On this episode of The Eagle, we'll go over the top stories in the Times Union this week. Hundreds and hundreds of contact tracers are are getting hired up. We'll try to digest the latest unemployment numbers from the state. There have been comparisons to the number of people who were unemployed at the peak of the, the Great Depression. And we'll hear about how a neighborhood in Troy came together to rebound from the pandemic. It's transformed this vacant lot that was decaying and becoming overgrown into a centerpiece. This is The Eagle, a Times Union podcast, a look inside our newsroom. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, Take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall. Let's start with a look at what happened at the Times Union this week. We are joined once again by our intrepid leader, Casey Seiler, editor of the Times Union. So this week, the big news, of course, continues to be the reopening process in the region and across the state. So what's the latest? What's, what's been happening? You're seeing more regions now able to reopen. New York City, of course, still, still is, is probably going to be the last of the uh, economic development regions. That's how the state has broken them down to, to reopen. But you're seeing either actual, the beginnings of phase one of what's supposed to be a four-phase reopening, or you're seeing the governor and his staff sort of give dates where it is expected that regents will be able to move in. One of the last things for a lot of regions, um, the criteria that they, uh, that they need to meet that they're getting to is, in many cases, the hiring of contact tracers. And you can uh, look to the outstanding work by our Capitol Bureau, who has described kind of the process by which the hundreds and hundreds of contact tracers are are getting hired up. These are, of course, the people who, when there is a coronavirus, COVID-19 diagnosis, they essentially do what's kind of half uh, detective work, half kind of census work, just kind of backtracking 
contacts that the confirmed case, the individual with that diagnosis has made over the course of the, of the last um, couple of days, or I, I guess it would be two weeks when they might be um, seen as being contagious. So it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating process, unprecedented in state history, needless to say, or at least I don't think they had contact tracers back in 1918, 1919 for the Spanish flu pandemic. Sounds like something out of a Jason Bourne film, honestly. Yeah, contact tracers. That does sound, it sounds rather Ludlum-esque, without a doubt. Now, also in the news, uh, Cuomo, Governor Cuomo met with President Trump in Washington this week. What came out of that that has relevance for us in our region? Well, uh, for our region, not that much, because it looks like the subject of their discussion, as the governor previewed it and as he described it afterwards, was his desire to see big infrastructure projects move ahead as both, uh, you know, taking advantage of the fact that, for example, people aren't using the Long Island Railroad as much as as they have, um, or as much as they ever do when there isn't a global pandemic on, um, and also as an economic driver as well. In other words, using the crisis to both get something done and to to provide jobs. Now, infrastructure, a big bipartisan infrastructure plan has been something that uh, the Trump administration has talked about basically since before the president was inaugurated. And it's become something of a joke among White House correspondents that you know, whenever the White House announces that this week will be infrastructure week, that um, that messaging will be derailed by something. It seems to happen uh, repeatedly. So whenever you hear a governor say, I'm going to put infrastructure on the president's agenda, you might roll your eyes a little. But Cuomo went down and then he had a press conference that was, uh, as Chris Churchill noted in his column that, that appeared in Thursday's paper, that was uh, half a wonderful performance by the governor and half sort of uh, unapologetic blame shifting on the way that the state has handled the pandemic in nursing homes, which has clearly put a dent, uh, according to the latest statewide Siena poll, in the governor's, what had been the governor's sky high approval ratings. Now, they've dropped from, you know, the low 80s, I believe it is, down into the uh, 60s. So that's still really, really good. But clearly, there's a little bit of a little bit of tarnish on the halo, to borrow another Chris Churchill uh, um, line. He's full of great lines, isn't he? Yep. <laughs> now, along those lines, speaking of nursing homes and the way it has affected Cuomo's reputation, we're, we are going to have a story coming up soon to that effect that's been in the works a couple of weeks now. So can you talk a little bit about what we can expect to read in there? Yeah, Bethany Bump, who is our hardworking, <laughs> like, really, uh, everybody's been working hard, but Bethany has really carried a lot of the weight as our healthcare reporter over these last uh, couple of months. She's got a story that she's been working on for a while um, that really kind of brings home the way that nursing homes have become a kind of ground zero for the pandemic and the various ways in which these facilities are vulnerable, stretching from the fact that many of them are strapped for resources, that the, the staffing in many cases is, is not always there, some claim, and just also the fact that you've got uh, residents who are already 
immunocompromised simply by old age and weakness or by, you know, the term is comorbidities, you know, conditions that they've been living with for a long time that make them especially susceptible to the virus. So it's, it's terrible. And you hear these horror stories about, even in our region, cases of dozens, in some cases, of cases located within a very small part of a nursing home, some of which are very large and sprawling. So many of these centers have become, you know, locuses for these kind of brush fire outbreaks. It's really terrible. Well, we will look forward to reading about that in the paper and online this week. Finally, uh, before I let you get back to it, last week we were talking about how nutty it was that we experienced snow and a tornado in the same week in May, both unusual events for this time of year. But this week, the weather seems to have completely turned around. What is yeah, going on with that? It's gorgeous. I mean, it is, and it was gorgeous over the Memorial Day weekend. I got out and took a whole lot of bike rides, which, which were terrific. But so as many people know, if they've been watching any of our Facebook lives, I've been working out of my attic since early March. And my attic is not as well uh, insulated as the rest of our houses happily. So I have gone from being dressed kind of Eskimo style up here in March and into April, and even of course into May, since it was snowing just a couple of weeks ago. And now the worm has turned as it were, and it is getting very, very hot in the afternoons <laughs> up in the attic. And uh, on Zoom calls, people can't see me, but I'm just wearing, I'm wearing a Red Sox t-shirt right now. Whenever I'm on sort of professional Zoom calls, I'm trying to spiff myself up by wearing, you know, a collared shirt, but it's not always easy. I'm afraid I'm going to start to develop, uh, you know, armpit saddlebags. So if you're on a call with me, just, just remember that I'm probably losing a pound of water weight an hour. Um, I could always bring an air conditioner up, but that's, it's a lot of steps to, to bring an air conditioner all the way up to the attic, so... Sure, sure. Well, I hope that things get a little cooler for you. <laughs> Thank you. They're supposed to this weekend, where there's supposed to be a cold front rolling through. So we'll see. All right. Well, thank you once again for joining us, and we'll check back in with you next week. Great. Thanks so much, Jess. The New York State Labor Department released its monthly jobs report this week, and it was a doozy. The unemployment rate in the capital region more than tripled between March and April. It set a record, and not one the region can be proud of. To really dig into those numbers and find out what they mean for all of us, I chatted with business editor Eric Anderson. The headline of your most recent, one of your most recent stories kind of says it all, or, or says a lot anyway, in that local unemployment rate jumps to a three-decade high. But what does that kind of really mean? What are the implications for us? A lot of people are idle and probably sitting at home. When you dig deeper into the figures, you'll see that a lot of the job categories um, are the ones that were most vulnerable to um, the pandemic. Basically, um, anything that included face-to-face -face contact, uh, service industries, uh, hotels, uh, restaurants, of course, and, um, and retail shops. So those were large numbers. Unfortunately, they don't also pay very well. Um, they're, they're service jobs that, um, uh, and that probably means that there are a lot of people out there that are hurting. The household budgets are probably stretched. Um, they were probably the ones least uh, able 
to afford something like this. And, um, and so that's, that's what's particularly troubling. The 30-year period, that's sort of when the Labor Department started collecting figures by the current method. Um, so it's hard to go farther back, further back in history, although there have been comparisons to the number of people who were unemployed at the peak of the, the Great Depression. The last time that, you know, the region and the country saw, you know, kind of a, had a little collective panic attack, obviously, was in 2008. How is now different from then? Then we knew what the problem was and how to solve it. The Bush and Obama administrations worked closely together to make sure that the financial system didn't freeze. Although later on, we they faced the same issue that we're facing now, the Senate unwilling to come up with an additional funds to keep the recovery going. We did come out of that. Um, now we you know, we really still don't have our handle, a handle on the, um, on the virus that we're faced with. And so the outcome isn't quite as clear or predictable as to when it's going to, the economy is going to recover. Mm-hmm. And, and now also we have a, once again, the Senate has been not eager to, uh, I guess, as somebody said, bail out blue states. So that could be a, a concern. In terms of the last three months, what's the picture looked like? I mean, is it had has it been like a steady decline? Has it been a jagged decline? What's what's been happening locally uh, with the unemployment rates? We fell off a cliff. Everything was really positive before that. The um, unemployment rate in the capital region in March was, I think, three point seven percent. Analysts like to compare year to year because the local unemployment rates aren't seasonally adjusted. So it's better to take the same period of time from one year to the next. A year ago in April, we were at 3.3%, which was near an all-time low. And I think it was one of the lowest, if not the lowest, among metros across the state. So the economy was humming. And, um, and then this. So do we have a lot to worry about? Well, the big question right now is how quickly we recover. The story that I wrote showed that um, there are some people now apparently returning to work. The number of people collecting unemployment insurance over the long term is starting to decline, and that's that's probably a good sign. There are stores opening. Um, as a matter of fact, we'll be planning a story for on phase two of the reopenings going into effect in the Mohawk Valley. And that's um, something we'll be writing about that tells us, you know, what is different. Um, And I think a lot of it will be the opening of retail stores uh, where you can go in and actually browse. It's um, up to now, it's been curbside pickup, that sort of thing. We'll be watching to see how quickly the unemployment numbers go down. There's another report, these lag about a month. Sometime in June, we'll have May's figures. And I'm expecting that'll probably be also quite high. But if things start improving, we should see some some lowering of the unemployment rate come June. Besides the obvious things like the unemployment numbers and, and all of that, what have been some of the biggest stories that you and your team have covered in the last three months? I know you mentioned something about Regeneron and their attempts at, at creating vaccine and, and some stuff with GE. So what what are the big stories? I, I think you mentioned a couple of them right there. Uh, Regeneron, um, early on, they had some high hopes for one of their 
I guess actually it was an arthritis drug. Um, and it seems to help, I think, the most critically um, ill patients. But there are some other competitors uh, that seem to be now the front runners. Regeneron also uh, got active in um, putting together uh, ingredients for test kits, uh, which was something that was a big issue for a while. I think they had a whole bunch of volunteers at their um, Rensselaer County plant that um, were willing to assemble, I guess what they call transport media, basically liquids that would preserve a swab sample until it could be tested. GE pointed out that its healthcare unit is making equipment, the scanners, the digital scanners um, that have applications in, in, in diagnosis of, um, of COVID-19. And of course, we have Wadsworth um, Center, the public health laboratories in Albany, which are, of course, they're involved in, in this as well. And also um, the RNA Institute at um, UAlbany. Um, so there's been a lot to write about, about of all these um, companies. One of the things, too, was that a lot of our industry here was deemed essential. And so a lot of the the production workers were stayed on the job. Uh, places like Global Foundries and GE Power Systems um, keep the uh, power grid going. Um, and then, of course, all the pharmaceutical companies as well. That was um, something that may have cushioned the impact for the capital region more so than elsewhere. That's encouraging. Now, I know that from reading other things and from reading what you've written, you know, they're kind of mixed views about what kind of the long term future looks like from your perspective and your reporting. What are you what sense are you getting there? Right. Unless we get something like a, a vaccine, I, I think there's going to be a slower recovery than we might like to see, just because a lot of people are still and rightfully so nervous about um, going out. I think we had a story that New Yorkers would prefer to see a, a slower, safer reopening. And I can certainly understand the business community, especially small business owners, wanting to open up right away because they're struggling. But I think the consumer would prefer a safer, slower route. So until a vaccine is available... I think it's going to be a slow recovery. I think it's going to, um, it's probably going to be months. We might not be back to normal for a year or more. What has this been like, you know, as the business editor, what has it been like covering, you know, the unemployment numbers, but beyond the the business community in the last three months? I mean, if you look at the sports department, you know, the sports department has had a very <laughs> measurable change in the way they do things. But for you on the business side, what has that been like in the last three months? Oh, it's interesting. Everything sort of just stopped. For a while there, I was in disbelief that everything stopped. People stopped going to, to the office. So the highways were empty. The airport, um, which was supposed to open all of these uh, new features, uh, the, you know, the expansion, a new thousand car parking garage, all kinds of terminal improvements. There was no one going through the airport. It was, um, and um, trains were running empty. So I think that was the most mind boggling thing. And from there, you know, we just started trying to take, you know, a bite off some of this and just to see how uh, people were, were making, uh, making do, how they were getting by. That's still the most troubling thing about this whole pandemic is that we don't, still don't have a real clear 
path to the end. Um, and we probably won't until we have a dependable vaccine that's widely available. Well, lots to look out for from your perspective going forward, yes. certainly. And I thank you so much for this uh, this look at, at how things have gone in the last three months. We'll uh, touch back with you at some point soon, probably, because yes. there will be more news, no doubt. <laughs> look forward to it. Thank you. After the break, we'll learn how a small Troy community came together to make a big difference. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome back to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. As we start to emerge on the other side of the COVID-19 pandemic, we hope, stories are emerging in the region about people and communities on the rebound. The Times Union began a special section on Sundays last week to highlight these special stories. Staff writer Ken Crow wrote one of them, and I had a chance to ask him about it. You wrote a story for the new series, The Rebound, that is uh, comes out on Sundays in the paper. Can you tell me a little bit about the topic of your article? This story is about the Osgood South Troy Neighborhood Association, which is began about 15 years ago. And over the past years, grown more active, particularly dealing with the issue of the South Troy Industrial Road, because they wanted to get the big lumbering tractor trailer trucks off their local streets and into a special highway. They united together and were able to lobby the county to get approval for the necessary paperwork. But then just as they're coming off that and they're looking to expand and do things more, the uh, coronavirus pandemic strikes and boom, they relied on monthly meetings and just a brief online announcement saying, hey, we're meeting this month at the Troy Area United Ministries on 2nd Street. So what they did was they expanded their notice into a monthly newsletter, and they started asking the 250 people they had on the mailing list to start contributing. And people started writing short 100-word to 200-word articles about what they're doing, anything from how they're dealing with the pandemic to future plans, such as one neighborhood resident planning to open a pinball club. He restores pinball machines. Oh, wow. But what really came out was the emphasis that they had been placing, the neighborhood group had been placing on the development of an appropriately named pocket park called Lots for Hope. It originally was three building lots that became decades ago, a parking lot for the ancient order of Hibernians chapter in the city. When that closed, the lot was still used as a parking lot for the uh, TOM, Troy Area United Ministries. But the lot, because when they cleared it, they had pushed the uh, buildings into the foundations, which was a common practice before building codes were tightened up, and the lot was starting to sink. And they thought that the lot was going to become a uh, parking area for tractor trailer trucks. So you can imagine how they felt about that. Sure. But working with Tom and the community development block grant money issued by the city of Troy, 
they were able to convert those three horrible looking lots, you know, essentially row house lots. So that's why there are approximately three of them at the corner of Second Street and Jackson into a brand new park. The city came in and planted trees, their benches, their tables that are handicapped accessible. And despite the pandemic, you can find children going in there to play games. And in the future also calls for installing a uh, basketball court, probably a half court and a little stage area. Oh, wow. So it, it's transformed this uh, vacant lot that was decaying and becoming overgrown and crumbling into a centerpiece, if not the heart of the Osgood South Troy neighborhood. Did you actually go there yourself physically? Oh, I've been there many times physically. In fact, the article shows a picture of some of the core group of people that have worked on this and other projects for the Neighborhood Association. It's quite an accomplishment. You don't see many um, new parks put into cities, especially at this time of year. So now the uh, Neighborhood Association, with the successful newsletters behind it, and uh, a park that's growing and attracting attention is hoping that they'll be able to attract more than the 15 to 30 members they get at their monthly meeting and they're going to be looking for new projects. They also want to diversify their membership so that it reflects better the um, makeup of the neighborhood. Is this the start of something wonderful? Well, hopefully it's a continuation of things that have been wonderful. To accomplish the park, to get trucks, heavy trucks off your road so they're not shaking your um, foundations and polluting the air are all great things. And now it's just building together, opening up communication. As, as one of the members said to me, she and her husband have only recently bought in the neighborhood in the last two to four years. She said by being a member of the Neighborhood Association, she's gotten to know the people out on the street. And she says it's wonderful because there's a budding feeling that people know each other you know people like to think that in urban areas you don't know your neighbors but a a group like the osgood south troy neighborhood association brings people together so that they can talk and plan and speak to their city officials with a united voice as it is the city police department sends a representative quite often the council members come to their monthly meetings to let them know what's going on and to hear their concerns and they feel that they're being listened to. And they think that they can expand upon it going forward as we come out of the pandemic and people can start socializing in person again. Certainly, certainly. Now, did you get a sense in your reporting on this that you might uh, know what they're going to have their site sit on next? Anything specific? They don't have a specific goal at this point. You know, they've just been reeling like everyone else has from enduring the pandemic, worrying about each other. What they see is that the communication, strengthening the ties, because when you have a strong neighborhood, it prevents things bad from happening and allows them to begin to think about what else good can be done. Mm -hmm. Now, the city of Troy is investing more money in the South Troy area and neighboring Little Italy neighborhood to uh, upgrade the streetscape by replacing curbs, sidewalks, and planting new trees. You'll see more of that to the two blocks to the east of Osgood, but Osgood spills over into that, and that'll be happening. And if you drive through 
South Troy, you can see what a difference the use of the community development block grant monies, which are federal monies that the city allocates, does to improve residents' investment and feeling about their neighborhood because they see that the city as a whole wants success, so they're improving the appearance. And when you do that, all of a sudden, local residents start painting, keeping things clean. But the Osgood people, you know, they're fired up. There's a certain vitality that is existing down in this part of Troy. You know, people coming into Troy always think of downtown. They forget that it's a city of neighborhoods, which is what many people like to emphasize. And the city's always trying to figure out how can we get into there. So down there in the Osgood South Troy Neighborhood Association, they're also starting to say, what businesses can we get here? Like there's a, uh, a bar a couple of blocks away that went out of business that had a bit of reputation of having a motorcycle club aspect to it. But that's been closed. And as one of the neighborhood members, I think it was Chuck Conway, said to me, he had just started talking to someone who owned several bars in the region about, hey, maybe you should look at here. And then the pandemic hit the next week and everything shut down. He said, bad timing, but it's something we'll work on in the future. Thank you so much for talking to me about this story. It's great. And I, I can't wait to see what you got coming up next. Okay. It was nice talking to you, Jessica. I hope you're having a great day. That's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. We'll be back next week with another look inside the newsroom here at the Times Union. In the meantime, check us out on social or head over to timesunion.com for the latest news and features. And stay cool out there.